Welcome, listeners. Did you have a good weekend? My weekend saw me eating American hamburgers and KFC whilst watching some Netflix and playing games with friends, which is exactly how I enjoy my weekends, mates. <laughs> and I hope your weekend was just as fun. Friends, today I bring you the finale of Ted the Caver, a dark, mysterious cave filled with ruins, mysterious stone formations, and the sound of echoing winds that carry screams through its cavern halls. Before we start, a huge thank you to my new Patreon supporter, Michael Angelo Yacone, otherwise known as the Eldritch Author. My newest enforcer mates, just magical. Michael's works have been on this show before, and in the future, you'll be hearing more of his work. That I can guarantee. Now, for the rest of my awesome Earl Grey Enforcers that I want to thank are as follows. Chad Warren, Joss Heather, Lee Bauer, Lorraine Crisanto, Mace Joe, Paige Marcini, and Peter Raffaelli. And my White Tea Warlord, Matthew J. Bauer. White Tea Warlords, mates, are those that contribute over $30 to the podcast. Truly the leader of the Tea Battalion. And there is a finite number of those available to the podcast. I am also constantly finding new ways to provide value to both warlords and enforcers. Rest assured, I'm hard at work thinking of new ideas. You are the blood that pumps this podcast's veins. Thank you. Now, turn the lights off, the sound up, and get ready for something mysterious. I was shaking violently as I sat there trying to figure out what to do. My mind was not thinking clearly. I honestly thought I was going to die right there in the cave. For a fleeting moment, I wondered how B would ever figure out what had happened to me. Then it hit me like a boulder. The phone! My mind must have been clearing up at that point because I also thought about my glow sticks. Without taking my eyes off the large room, I felt around in my pack for the glow sticks. Since I was carrying the phone and video camera, I removed as much as possible from my pack and one of the things I left with B was my backup headlamp. Thus, I was left with only the glow sticks. I found one and ripped it out of the package. I could tell something was wrong by how it sounded. It had been inadvertently broken and was now useless. I chucked it on the ground and searched my pack for another one. I took my eyes off the large room only to check the passage behind me, occasionally. I found another glow stick, broke it to light it up. The soft green glow created eerie colors on the walls of the cave. The stick provided barely enough light to see the immediate area, and provided no hint of what lie ahead. I felt the pack for one more light, again without taking my eyes off the room. I felt a third glow stick and ripped it out of the package. After breaking it to make sure it worked, I hesitated, then threw the glow stick into the large room. The throw was a perfect one, and the stick sailed through the length of the room. In the brief moment that the light traveled through the room, I saw nothing but cave walls. The absence of anything unusual did nothing to ease my state of panic. At the far end of the room, I got a brief glimpse of the round rock as the light bounced on it. Then, the light behind the rock, and seemed to disappear. 
I was still shaking, but at least I didn't see anything. Still, there was the noise. I used the glow stick to light the phone, and with fumbling fingers I managed to plug my phone into the jack. I put the phone to my ear and heard... nothing. The usual beeps to indicate connection with the other phone were not there. Terrified, I pulled the phone from the jack and reinserted it. Again. Silence. The line was dead. What could have happened? I just talked to B. I found myself nearly sobbing with fear. I knew the only way out of here was back the way I came. But something was there. A third attempt at making contact with B met the same results. I tried to think of another plan, but I could only focus on the memories of the grinding sound that I had heard. In my weakened state, I slumped against the side of the passage, breathing like I had just finished a race, never breaking eye contact with the shadows of the large room. As my shoulder touched the wall, I had a powerful jolt of pain remind me of my collision with the roof of the cave. Despair, agony, terror. I can't say exactly how long I sat there. My feet were tingling and my knees were sore. The pain in my back crept lower, although my neck felt no different. I resolved to make an attempt to exit this evil passage. I knew if I waited too long, I would lose what little light I had. I attempted to stand, but did not have the strength. I crawled slowly to the near end of the large room, dragging my pack beside me. Using the walls of the cave, I was able to slowly stand, though not straight due to my sore back. Still breathing rapidly, I slowly advanced through the room. I wound up the phone wire as I went. My eyes were staring straight ahead, straining for any signs of movement. With every step, my light would cast ever-changing shadows on the wall, keeping me busy trying to look at every one. My eyes burned as I realized I had not blinked for many minutes. How many? Well, how long has this been going on? The only sounds I could hear were the crunch of my feet on the broken rock and the wheezing of my breath. As I wound the cord, I could hear the squeak of the wheel, with each turn bringing me closer to the tomb, closer to B, closer to safety. The short trip through the room took an eternity. As I passed the crude drawing, it seemed to glow, as if offering some sort of warning. I didn't know what the drawing represented, but everything about this cave seemed to instill fear. Toward the far end of the room, I could see the round rock dimly, at the far reaches of my light. Something seemed different about it, but I couldn't tell what. When I got within a few feet, I could finally tell what had changed. It had moved. That was the sound I heard. Again, terror gripped my entire body as I realized how close I was to something. I had no choice but to continue. Still, it was not easy. I inched toward the rock, holding the glow stick ahead of me in my shaking hand, using it to pierce the darkness. I stopped just this side of the rock and wound up the slack in the phone wire. Then I realized why I had lost contact with B. The rock was now sitting on the wire. I gave it a tug, and the thin wire snapped. Shit. My only hope of contact with the outside world ceased to exist when that wire broke. 
I had never felt so alone and helpless, buried deep within the earth. I had voluntarily descended into my own grave with a casket of solid rock. With the phone now useless, I set it down in the passage, my gaze fixed on the round rock. I proceeded forward. My breathing was rapid, with my throat dry and aching and my mouth dusty. With every crunch of the rock below my feet, my heart seemed to stop. No movement could be seen in the green glow of my stick. I got to the rock and peered over the top. Seeing nothing, I took several rapid steps past it. When I reached the other side, I recoiled in horror at what I saw. In the side of the passage, near the floor was a hole, with another passage revealed. It had been covered by the rock, but now it was exposed. The rock could not have moved by itself. I backed away from the hole and collided with the opposite wall. I had not been paying attention to the pain in my back, but now it came back to me in all its fury. I stared down the newly discovered passage. It went down at a 45 degree angle and continued straight for as far as the eye could see. Several feet down, I could see the glow stick that I had thrown. It illuminated the passage enough that I could tell the walls were fairly smooth. The floor seemed to be the same way, unlike the rest of the cave. The passage was about three feet in diameter, as far as the eye could see. It would have been an easy passage to explore if I had the least desire to do so. Right now, I wanted out of the cave and into daylight. I slowly backed away from the hole toward B. I never took my eyes off the abyss. I nearly tripped over the phone wire as I turned to leave this devil's lair. I noticed my mini-mag was practically dead, leaving me only with the glow stick. I wanted to sprint to Floyd's tomb. Just hearing another human being would help alleviate some of the fear I was experiencing. As I turned away from the large rock in the hole, I felt an overwhelming sense of panic fill my soul. It felt like a legion of demons was about to attack me from behind. I felt like my salvation lay ahead of me in the darkness, and Lucifer was behind me, trying to keep me from safety. I found myself moving faster than I should have in that cave. My only thought was to get out as quickly as possible. I passed the crystal formation, barely even noticing this beautiful creation of nature in the green glow of my light. Every time I ducked to avoid a rock, I felt my back scream its reminder of my injury. When I got to the point in the passage where I had to crawl, I flung myself down on all fours, barely slowing down as I dropped. When my hand came in contact with the cave floor, I felt an electric shock shoot all the way down my back and simultaneously down my arms. For the first time since this nightmare had begun, I let out a scream. I crumpled down and lay there on the rock, with new levels of pain manifesting every time I inhaled. Whimpering from fear and pain, I tried to listen to any other noise in the cave. I could feel the silence pounding in my head. I knew from previous trips that B was still out of earshot, but I was close. Forcing myself to move, I winced as I pulled my body onto all fours and started to progress along the cave. I still held the glow stick in my hand, but I had ceased checking behind me. Now, my focus was ahead of me. I reached the point where I could yell to be, but I didn't make a sound. I didn't want to stop long enough to talk. Finally, I reached the last stretch of cave before the squeeze. 
as I was crawling toward the beginning of the tomb I called to be. He answered back. I screamed to him to get everything ready to go. He asked if I was okay. Since he hadn't heard from me on the phone, he had gotten worried. I told him no, and to get everything ready to go. When I reached the rope, I flipped off my helmet and shoved it into my pack. For the first time I realized, I had forgotten my video camera. It was a fleeting thought. I cared no more about the camera than a passenger of the Titanic cared about a hat or a coat. I tied the pack to the rope and told him to pull it through. Then I told him to start heading towards the surface as soon as he pulled the rope through. He asked me why and I screamed that there was something in the cave with us. My back ached with every move I made. I knew it didn't matter, though. I was going to get through the tomb as fast as I could, injuries notwithstanding. Just as I started into the squeeze, I felt the wind in the passage increase, and with it, the most nauseating stench I have ever experienced. It smelled like damp, rotting, rancid, putrid death. I almost started to dry heave. I pulled my shirt up over my nose to shield me from the overpowering smell. At this point, B smelled it too. He yelled, What is that? Then he yelled at me to hurry up and get through. I told him I was coming. Then I took a deep breath through my shirt and started back through. B's yelling had intensified my fear and panic, as if I needed any help. I knew he could sense the urgency in getting out of this place. Still, as I worked my way through, I yelled at him to start up, that I would catch up with him when I got through. He said he would. He placed my glow stick inside the passage, then began to climb out. This time, through the squeeze, I had no regard for the tightness of the passage. I was scraping my face, ears, arms, and shoulders. Every inch of the squeeze meant numerous scratches on my body, but I barely noticed them. My back was nearly paralyzing me with pain. Once again, I felt the rising need to vomit because of the odor being delivered to my nostrils by the breeze. Halfway through Floyd's tomb, I took a break to catch my breath. I was approaching exhaustion, and my respiration rate was through the roof. The top of the passage seemed to rest my cheek, and the floor felt like broken glass on my opposite cheek. As I paused briefly to recuperate, I heard the scraping noise coming from deep within the cave. It continued for several seconds, then silence. I let out a cry which startled me. I was no longer consciously reacting to the noise. The cry was a subconscious response to the fear which flowed through my entire body. In a panic, I began to scoot through the passage. As I reached the largest part of the tomb, I quickly slid my arms under my body to get into position to exit through our hole. I grabbed the top and pulled with all my might. When my shoulders reached the hole, they lodged, and I was stuck. I dug my feet into the rocks and wiggled my way back into the passage. Then I turned my body slightly and tried again. This time, I was successful in pulling my upper body through. Normally, I would carefully work my way out, since there was a three-foot drop on the other side of the hole. This time, I kicked with my legs and pulled my arms and plop, I dropped out of the tomb right onto my shoulder. I tried to roll to soften the impact, but was unable to do anything more than take the blow. Strangely, the pain was focused on my shoulder, apparently not affecting my already sore back. I rolled over onto all fours, then slowly rose to my feet. The smell was much less intense outside the passage, 
I grabbed the glow stick and used it to find my helmet. I began to head for the webbing to climb up while strapping on my helmet. When I got to the webbing, I reached up to grab hold and recoiled yet again in horror. In the glow of the glow stick, I could see, for the first time, the injuries to my arms. My forearms were covered with deep cuts and scrapes. Much of my arm was covered in blood. The wounds were not deep enough to bleed freely, but rather ooze the blood. In that brief moment that I stopped, I noticed that there was silence in the cave. No sounds coming from the passage and nothing from up ahead. Once again, the feeling of being alone returned, motivating me to proceed. Climbing up the little drop-off proved to be difficult in my condition. Having the glow stick as the only light source added to the challenge. Once on top, I scrambled to catch up with B. I was impressed with the speed of his ascent. Although I did not mention any more of my physical condition during my exit, I was hurting. With every step I took pain shots through my lower back and my neck. My arms were shredded and my shoulder had a nice gash in it. I honestly believe that were it not for the terror I felt at the time, I would not have the energy and the motivation to climb out. I was running on pure adrenaline. Unfortunately, the adrenaline surge was about to end. I did not see or hear B until I reached the small area at the bottom of the rope. He was on rope and climbing out as fast as he could. I could hear him moving quickly and breathing heavily. I called out to him and his startled reaction told me he was nearly as tense as I was. He told me to get on a rope and start climbing. We both knew that would be dangerous and not something we would ever normally do. But this was different. I stood there looking up at where the rope disappeared into the darkness above me. It danced around as B made his way up to safety. He was out of sight, but I knew he was close. I knew the rope was my lifeline to the outside. To light. Safety. Behind me was darkness, fear, the unknown. I had the fleeting thought of a movie scene where the actor had outwitted the monster and had reached the front door of the haunted house. Just as he reaches for the knob, he hears a sound behind him and turns, only to see. I slid the glow stick into the cord of my helmet and reached for my harness. Then I thought I would let B get a little bit higher when I pulled the rope up that was stretched down into the cave. That would make it easier to get out once we got to the top of the drop. I chose not to wind the rope around my arm, since I was sore and bleeding, so I just pulled it into a pile on the floor. From above, I heard B warn me. Rock! And I ducked under the ledge as several small rocks landed on the floor near my feet. I quickly went back to pulling the rope in. I had about half of it in, about 50 feet. When the rope hit a snag... <sighs> Damn it. It was solid. There was no way I was going to crawl back in to release it, so I decided to just forget the rope and get my harness on and get out of the cave. I quickly threw the harness around me and started to buckle it. Before I could secure it, I heard a strange noise at my feet. My pulse began to quicken. I looked down at the rope, only to discover that the cave rope was disappearing down into the darkness. Something was pulling the rope back into the cave. I let go of the harness and began clawing on my way up the rope. The unbuckled harness fell to the floor. Fortunately, I held onto the ascender. 
At that moment, I could not think straight and began climbing out of the cave without being attached to the rope. I had climbed out many times without using an ascending device, but I was always attached to the rope, just in case. I was climbing as fast as my battered body could haul me up. I was in a near panic state again, and consequently was scraping, bumping, and gouging my arms and legs. As I climbed, I screamed to B that something has the rope. He yelled back to hurry up. Luck was with me, in that I didn't slip and fall down into the hole. If I had, I would have bounced several times against the sides of the cave, before smashing onto the floor. The injuries would be fatal. Without the necessity of having to stop to slide the ascender up the rope, I had made excellent time getting up. I could see rays of light above me, coming from the entrance to the cave, that told me exactly where I was in the cave. Below where our rebelay point was fixed, I told him to keep going. It would only take him a few minutes, but every second would be torture, because I had to wait for him to get up. I watched the rope that we just climbed up. I expected to see some creature from deep within the earth and make me its lunch. The rope moved around a bit, in rhythm with bees climbing, but did not appear to have any tension on it. As I stood there waiting for B, I kept watching the rope for signs of anything bizarre. I didn't know if my heart could take any more stress. I could not have been more wired. I tried to relax a bit to make sure I was thinking rationally, but my poor brain had reached sensory overload. As B reached the top of the last climb, I got ready to clip on my ascender and get my sorry butt out of there. It was then that I noticed that the rope began to tighten from below. I could feel the tension on the rope, but it was a steady tension, not like someone was climbing up. Either way, I wanted out of there as fast as possible. I clipped on and scrambled up the rope. I hadn't noticed, but B had kept on moving toward the entrance. I got up the last few feet in a hurry. I just unclipped and kept on moving, leaving the rope behind. By the time I got to the entrance of the cave and daylight, B was almost up to where the rope was anchored. I wanted to get up so bad, I almost started a free climb without clipping onto the rope. I could see B was almost up, so I clipped on and started up. I almost didn't make it up. I had just started when I nearly collapsed from exhaustion. I managed to recover enough to pull myself up the last few feet. As I climbed, I could hear the tension on the rope manifest itself by stretching noises in the rope. I prayed that this rope would not break with me attached to it. The second that I reached the top, I unclipped the ascender. I could see B kneeling down by the tree, so I limped over to him and collapsed. For the first time since I went through Floyd's tomb, we could see each other. We just stared. I knew I looked pretty bad, but didn't realize B was in such bad shape. He had cuts and scrapes on every exposed surface of his body. His face was pale, almost white. His mouth and his eyes were wide open. He was breathing heavily, almost gasping. The shock we shared at the other person's appearance was broken when we heard the rope around the tree stretch and the knot B had tied tighten. I was frozen in place, overwhelmed with fright. B seemed to be transfixed on the knot. Then in one motion, he produced a pocket knife and began to work on the rope. It is amazing how a person's state of mind can alter the perception of time. I'm sure it only took four or five seconds to sever the rope from the tree, but it seemed like an hour. When the rope was cut, 
the knot fell to the ground, while the end of the rope zipped across the rocks and over the edge of the cliff, the speed of it causing a humming noise as it went. As soon as the rope was cut, B let out a cry. He dropped the knife and fell backwards. Watching the rope fly over the edge brought the feelings in the passage back to me. I got up and headed towards the truck. I noticed B was still laying there, wide-eyed, staring at the point the rope disappeared. I called to him, which seemed to break his trance. He got up and hurried away from the tree, the cave, the nightmare. Neither of us said a word all the way home. It is now four days after our trip to the cave. It has taken me four days and dozens of attempts to get this entire experience written into my journal. Every time I started to write, I recalled the terrible feelings I had and couldn't write anymore. I felt compelled to continue so as to document the unbelievable events while all the details were fresh in my mind. I can still feel the pain, still smell the stench, still experience the terror. Even typing from my journal has taken hours. I would like to write more, but it'll have to wait. Even now, with several days between me and the event, I can't relax. I can barely concentrate. That's all for now. May 19th, 2001. It has been three weeks since our last visit to the cave. I want to update everyone as to my condition, my plans for the cave, and the events of the past few weeks. I apologize for not returning your phone calls. I've been getting all over your messages. I just haven't felt up to calling back. Steve and Mark, thanks for your words of encouragement on my answering machine. I know you two are sincerely concerned for me. You are awesome friends. Mark, I know you stopped by the house a few times, and I'm sorry I never answered the door. It really helped me just knowing you dropped by. Sis, I can hear the worry in your voice. I'm okay. Don't worry about me. Just take care of those nieces and nephews of mine. I figure if I can get this site updated, I can let everyone know at once about how I'm doing. A lot has happened in the last three weeks, so I'll do my best to cover everything. I guess I should start with the last entry left off. It took several days to get this last journal entry written down. I was so shook up from the experience that I could do little else but sit around and ponder what had happened. Right now, I am on long-term medical leave from work. I tried to go to work several days after the event, but my boss sent me home. I couldn't concentrate, and I looked terrible. I've even been to the doctor, but I couldn't tell him about the experience, so I just told him I was under a lot of stress. He recommended rest and gave me a prescription to help me relax. Mm-mm-mm, good drugs. When we left the cave, I was nearly in a state of shock. I could not think clearly and was having a difficult time trying to understand what had happened. I didn't eat much, nor did I get any sleep. I was glad I had the presence of mind to write down my experience while it was fresh in my mind. As I reread what I wrote, I feel like I accurately portrayed what happened in the cave that day. I wouldn't change anything I wrote, even though it took three days to write it. When I finished writing in my journal, I felt much better. I guess it was kind of therapeutic. Unfortunately, it didn't last. In fact, it was after then that things got really bad. B and I parted company after the trip, but I didn't see him again until yesterday. I didn't try to reach him, and he didn't try to get a hold of me. Nor did either of us try to contact Joe. B just dropped me off after the trip, 
and I spent the next several days by myself in my house. I tried to eat but had no appetite. I was restless, but I couldn't find anything to do to take my mind off the experience. That's when I determined that I should write it down. As I mentioned, that helped me think a little clearer, and I seemed to be a little calmer. But it didn't last. I went to work the next day but was sent home. The day after that, I had an overwhelming feeling of anxiety sink into my soul. I was depressed and confused and had no one I wanted to turn to for comfort. I was getting all kinds of phone calls from people, but I just let the answering machine take the calls. I even changed the message on the machine to let everyone know I was alright. I continued in this miserable state, eating and sleeping whenever I could manage, until a week after the trip. Then things started to get strange. At first I was hearing sounds in the house that had no explanation. Footsteps, shuffling noises, creaking doors, you know, the typical horror movie fair. Only the sounds were not distant. It was as though I wasn't sure I heard what I thought I heard. I would be eating or getting out of the shower and stop, thinking I heard something. But the sound would not repeat itself. In fact, if it weren't for the fact that it happened frequently, I couldn't be sure there were noises in the first place. Either way, I was scared. It was as though I had been caught in a spider web for the last week. Feelings of anxiety, foreboding, tension filled my life. Then came the hallucinations. I began seeing things in a manner similar to the sounds I was hearing, just a glimpse of something in the corner of my eye. When I would turn to look, nothing. I had been sleeping with the lights on in my room, but now I kept all the lights in the house on, from before dusk to after dawn. When I started to see things on a regular basis, I purchased a gun. Got it from an ad in the paper so I didn't have to wait for a permit. I went to the doctor but didn't mention the details of my life. Just told him I couldn't relax and I walked out of there with a prescription. Fortunately, my wounds and injuries were pretty much healed by this time. My back still hurt a little, but the prescription took care of that too. When I was on the medication, I felt great. But I didn't want to walk around high the rest of my life. So I would only take it at the end of a tough day. Unfortunately... The severity of the sightings increased, giving rise to a need for the medication. The flashes in the corner of my eye continued, but then I began to see shapes and shadows. They would be outside my windows, usually at night. I still couldn't make out anything solid, so it was hard to pin down what I was seeing. Soon I began to close all of my drapes and blinds so I could remove the possibilities of seeing something. Doing so did help in that respect but my life was still a mess. My daily routine was mechanical and empty. I would sleep in as long as I could, usually out of exhaustion. Then, I would get cleaned up and try to eat something. I lost a lot of weight, so I tried to get as much as possible down me. Then, I would exercise a little and nap a lot. I'd only been out of the house a few times in the last two weeks. The store, the doctor, the gun purchase. I didn't watch much TV either because I couldn't concentrate. I spent a lot of time on the internet. I was doing research on caves and cave myths. The only story I could find was the cave of folklore about the Hodag. The Hodag is supposedly a creature that roams caves. Two weeks after we went in the cave, and a week after I began hearing things, I began to have nightmares. Extremely lucid nightmares. 
no specific theme or reoccurring events, just plain terrifying. Sometimes I was in my house and someone was trying to get me, only I couldn't run because I had no legs. Other times I was in a vat and someone was pouring a syrup-like liquid on me, filling the vat. I would wake up in a panic. I would stay awake until exhaustion forced me to enter dreamland once again. A brutal routine. It continued for several days, until it reached a climax on the sixth day. Yesterday, my dreams seemed so real, I had a hard time telling if I was awake or not. I was beat, really drained of energy and spirit. I was going from the living room to my bedroom in the early evening, when I looked down the hall and saw a dark figure toward the end. I thought it was a thief and began to back up slowly. It didn't move. As I was backing up, the lights flickered off and on. Every muscle was tense. I stopped to stare at the figure. Just then, the phone rang. It startled me so bad I stumbled over the chair. When I got up, I wheeled around to look down the hall and nothing was there. I grabbed my keys and left the house. I felt compelled to get in the car and drive. My pulse pounded in my temples as I got in and started the car. I wanted to drive to Overlook Point, to see the city lights. I didn't know why I needed to go there, but I knew I had to go. The closer I got, the more urgent the feeling. When I arrived at that point, I saw something that at first startled me, but then caused me to be more relaxed than I had been in a long time. Joe was there. He was out of his car, standing looking at the lights. We looked at each other. I could see from the tired look on his face, he had been going through the same miserable trial that I had been experiencing. He could tell from the look on my face that we had shared some terrible experience. Our conversation was unbelievably brief. You've been back? He began, even though he knew the answer. Yes. Hey. We need to return. Tomorrow good? I asked. Yeah. Noon. He got into his car and I got into mine. I hadn't even wanted to talk to him about his experience. Obviously, he didn't want to know mine. So I drove over to B's house. When he answered the door, I thought that B actually looked like he was doing fine. Somewhat happy. One look at me and his disposition changed. Our conversation was also succinct. I ran into Joe, and we're going back in tomorrow, at noon. B looked dead serious. He just nodded his head. I asked him if I could spend the night at his house. He eagerly let me in. I didn't notice until later, but every light in the house was turned on. He led me to his spare room. Help yourself. Thanks. I washed up in the bathroom, took some medication, and got the first decent sleep in a long time. I awoke early this morning and came home to get ready for the trip. I thought I would send out this update so no one will wonder what's going on with me. I suspect that by the time most of you read this, I will be back home and have a great story to tell. I promise that if you haven't heard from me by now, you will very shortly. It is now 10am on Saturday the 19th. We will be leaving for the cave in two hours. Preparing for this trip will be like no other trip I've been on. For the first time in my life, I will carry a gun into a cave. I will also carry a knife, an extensive first aid kit, plenty of food and water, and a camera. I will take several sources of light, and a pad of paper and pencil. 
I will have to take all of my climbing rope since B lost his in the cave. I will carry a good length of rope with me on the other side of Floyd's tomb. This is the first time in three weeks that I have heard any reference to Floyd's tomb. It sent shivers up my spine just typing it. There are many things I hope to accomplish this day. So many answers I hope to find in a tiny passage hidden from view. Reflecting on the events leading up to today leaves me feeling dizzy. Was this all a bad dream? Unfortunately, I am wide awake and still, in a few short hours, I might face my nightmare. The thought of having another person with me in the passage does nothing to alleviate the fear I feel. I almost chuckle as I ponder a childish notion that we all have to consider. Who will enter the tomb first? Who will lead the way into the dark unknown? Who will decide when to turn back? Foremost among the questions in my mind is, what about the video camera that I left behind? It is supposed to be able to record in complete darkness. I left the thing running. So what might we find on the tape? Darker questions follow. What if the camera is gone? What if it is destroyed? Although it is difficult to put an exact name on my motivation, I think closure fits quite nicely. I need to find out a few things about this cave. The main thing, believe it or not, is to find the end of the cave. With all of the bizarre things I have witnessed these past few weeks, it would seem a bit trite to want, as a primary goal, to get to the end. But that is what I want. To be sure, I will be seeking other bits of knowledge along the way. If, however, I find the end to the main passage and an end to the passage hidden by the rock, I will be content to never return to the passage or the cave again. Never. It was seen to me that crawling headfirst through a tight passage into the darkness is an unnatural thing. Just like crawling up the side of a cliff for recreation, or jumping out of a perfectly good airplane and floating to the ground. We do these things to satisfy our hunger for adventure. This subconscious desire to conquer our own little Everest, as B is fond of saying, Caving is the last opportunity for exploration for the person with modest means. True. Just a short drive from just about anywhere in the country is a cave waiting to be explored. Even a cave well known among the general public can be approached by someone for the first time as an adventure. Something new. Something to overcome. Because it's there. Many of you don't agree with my decisions to pursue this cave. I know this from the messages I have received. I'm afraid I don't have a choice. If I am ever to experience restful slumber, I must return. If I am ever to walk the halls of my own home in peace, I must return. If I am ever to exit the overworld and enter the subterranean world of a cave, I must now return. I no longer feel that I have a choice. I must return. For my family and friends who are reading this, I say, Be at peace. I will conquer this cave. Then I will return and update this website immediately. I will include any photos we take in the cave today. And if you stop by the house, I will show you the video I will have. I expect to be home later tonight, or tomorrow at the latest. See all of you soon, with a lot of answers. Love, Ted. Well, listeners, 
looks like we never ever find out what the heck that creature is. I mean, truly know what it is or get to see it from Ted's perspective. How do you feel about open-ended monster stories like this? I for one would have loved to find out what was down there. The rotten smell, the voices, the echoes, the wind, the runes on the wall. This cave is something else. And whenever I start being critical about these stories, my imagination begins to run wild. I start speculating what was down there. Then the word hodag came up and I was thinking, whoa, a hodag? What the heck is that? Here is what a hodag is. I'll read its description in a grizzled voice, as this is how I'd imagine the account to be retold as. And frankly, because it's fun. <laughs> in the heart of the North Woods near Rhinelander, Wisconsin, lucky visitors may come across a mysterious, mischievous beast known as the Hodag. This legendary creature has roamed the North Woods for more than a century and has become the official symbol of Rhinelander while pulling a few pranks along the way. It had the head of a frog, the grinning face of a giant elephant, thick short legs set up by huge claws, the back of a dinosaur, and a long tail with spears at the end. The Hodag also had green eyes, huge fangs, and two horns sprouting from its temples. The Hodag reportedly breathes fire and smoke and had a pungent smell, a combination of buzzard meat and skunk perfume. Early reports indicate that Hodag was about seven feet long, 30 inches tall, and weighed in at about 200 pounds. The Hodag's exact appearance has long been open to interpretation. Jokes aside, physically it sounds terrifying, and not something I'd want to meet. Let me know what you thought of the story. Did you enjoy the cliffhanger? And maybe there is a sequel out there. All I know is, right now, Ted still hasn't come back. Have a great night, folks. And as always, till next, we meet.